Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Is This Legal? My name is Colin McCallan, and as always, I am beside my partner, Russell Hebbets. Say hi, Russell. Hello, everyone out there. Um, so I uh, hope everybody's summer is off to a good start. Um, you know, this podcast is going to be one of our oh heavier in tone type of podcasts. We are going to discuss gun laws in America, part two. Um, this is a part two episode. Uh, we decided to record this week because we are very fresh off of the absolutely horrible uh, school shooting that occurred last week in Uvalde, Texas, where 21 people died, 19 were uh, kids. And um, actually, we we did our part one of this topic back on uh, episode 20. That was recorded immediately after the school shooting in Parkland, Parkland Florida. Uh, that prompted us to do uh, the first uh, episode. Uh, we do encourage you to check out that episode from the standpoint that we went over. We did a pretty comprehensive overview of gun laws in America, the Second Amendment, its history, Supreme Court uh, decisions that kind of codified a person's right to bear arms. And um, <clears throat> we've decided to expand that podcast, talk more about more gun laws going on in the country and um, this is obviously something we don't want to ignore. We don't want to become desensitized to these horrible things. Um, I think we, like most Americans, are hoping that something can be done to make sure this doesn't happen because it still feels, we still get that horrible, horrible gut punch when we click on the news and see uh, these headlines. Well, we were eerily prescient in our last podcast um, roughly three years ago. When we said, yep, and we're sure there's going to be, you know, more of these terrible, terrible mass shootings. And here we are. Yeah. Um, so, so before we dive in, let's make sure everyone's on the same page with what is a mass shooting. Let's talk about some statistics and a definition because there is no set definition for mass shooting. Definitions vary based on who you speak to, what media outlet is using it. But generally, mass shootings are when three to four victims are shot in a short time frame, in one incident. And so you're going to find different stats based on three, four, five people, people shot, people dead. But in any case, we're talking about a number of casualties or deaths in a very short time frame. And these are happening more and more and more in America specifically. It was amazing when, I mean, I was thinking back to Columbine back in 1999 and <clears throat> how unique that whole situation felt at the time. And unique is probably the wrong word uh, to Un describe how it was. Right. Unprecedented. Yeah. It, 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 it was like, how could this happen? And, you know, we're about 23 years removed from that, which is a long time and a short time at the same time. And, and, and honestly, Russ, there, there have been two mass shootings this week, uh, just, just this week where, you know, Columbine is just almost feeling so normal now. And that's honestly the scariest part of it. 
Well, that's the scariest part of it. And the scariest part of it also is how desensitized, I mean, like it feels normal, but, and, and that's that desensitization, but it's also things where like, I, I don't like to hear about it. I, when, when Uvalde happened, I honestly, initially, I tried avoiding it right. because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want that in my psyche. I and did if, too. And if that happens, what, where are we going from there? Right. Right. So, so here's here's some stats on how ubiquitous this has become in America. We're averaging, depending on the definition, twenty to thirty mass shootings per year in America, which is just mind blowing. The big drivers of injury and death in these mass shootings, there's a couple of big drivers in these really high casualty counts. They are assault rifles. They There have been studies. Those result in six times more people being shot. High-capacity weapons result in five times more people being shot. So those are a couple, and there's there's no answer, people, as to why these, these are happening. There's no single answer, I should say. This is a very complex issue. But clearly, those things are big factors in virtually all of the more publicized mass shootings. You're talking about AR-15s mm-hmm. being used. Yeah. Um, so... Let's let's talk a little bit about what the legal landscape is around gun rights because we laid it out in our prior prior podcast. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, if you go back and listen now, the the episode quality of that you know, we yeah. were just getting started. It's a little rough around the edges, but like like I said earlier, the content is still <clears throat> for the most part unchanged. Uh, three years ago to where we are now. Now we're gonna we are gonna get into some new stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a new pending Supreme court case that's going on. We're going to talk about other gun reform measures that people are talking about. We're also going to talk about some, uh, some, uh, <clears throat> I guess, legal tools that are out there that we didn't discuss in the first podcast that, um, that people are paying attention to in order to address gun control, gun reform, stuff like that. Right. There, there's some interesting stuff going on. So if you, if you listened to the last one or you paused right now, pause (laughs) and go listen to the last one, you'll know that the Supreme Court was silent on the Second Amendment on gun rights for decades and decades. And 2008 is when they issued uh, District of Columbia versus Heller. That was where they codified the right of every person to have a gun in their home for self-defense. 2010, they expanded that to states, and then they've been silent. So mm-hmm. for the past 12 years, they've been silent. They now have a pending case, which has already been briefed. They've already had, they had oral arguments in November of last year, November of 2021. That is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. This case, Colin, is a case that is challenging gun licensing laws in New York under the Second Amendment. For over a hundred years, New York has had a law on their books that basically said if you live in New York and you want to carry a concealed weapon, you need to show a licensing officer that you have proper cause, and that proper cause is in quotes, to carry a concealed weapon. What that means is you need actual, not speculative, self-defense needs. 
So here's an example. If you are living in New York City and you are in a business that deals in cash, Mm -hmm. right? And you transport cash. That's probably going to get you a carry concealed weapon permit in New York, right? right? That's high risk. You have an actual reason to need that self-defense. But if I'm living in a penthouse in the Upper West Side and I go to my local sheriff and say, I'd like a concealed carry because I might get broken into someday. You're saying that's probably not going to cut it. Yeah. and, And we have to be clear, we're talking about outside the home. You definitely oh, have a right to that gun sure. inside your home. Right. That's That was codified in Heller, Heller right. right? But yeah, so you're living in that penthouse and you say, sometimes I go to the theater and New right. York is a high crime area and I could get mugged. That may not get it for you. Okay. Because okay? that's not an actual uh, evidence that's, of, yeah, that's right. more like, well, this could happen. It could happen. Sure. It's speculative. Okay. So, and it's so up to these. The, uh, so where's the legal challenge here? That's what state of New York wants, I assume, uh, I assume this gun ownership group took issue with that. They did. They did. And they basically said this is too restrictive on gun rights. And they got a plaintiff who could go ahead and sue. And they lost at the lower courts. Got appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court heard those arguments, as I said, in November of last year. And based on those oral arguments, Colin, the court is very likely to invalidate that licenses, licensing scheme as by being, New York. As being unconstitutional and overly restrictive. Exactly. Yeah. And, and here's the likely outcomes for it. They're likely to either say, well, one, the Second Amendment that we said in Heller extends outside the home to some degree, and New York has made it too hard to exercise that right. So you have a Second Amendment right, it extends outside the home, and this licensing scheme is curtailing people's Second Amendment constitutional rights. They could say that lawmakers have too much discretion, have given too much discretion to these licensing officials in determining this constitutional issue. Okay, Mm -hmm. you have a constitutional right and you have these random stuffed shirt bureaucrats who are saying yay or nay based willy-nilly, right? Or less likely but possible, they could say, Hey, we're going to ban any licensing yeah. of gun rights. Which, which, again, if, if you listen to our first podcast when we really get into Heller, I mean, Heller did an amazing job. Uh, you know, it, it's certainly a uh, pro-gun advocate opinion in the sense that essentially recognizes a right. But there's a but here. There is a but because uh, even uh, the, the author of that opinion was uh, Antonin Scalia, who is now uh, he's, he's dead, but he was he wrote that opinion and he was a very conservative justice. And he even said, look, the Second Amendment is not absolute. We can put reasonable restrictions on firearms. You can't carry in a, in a school. You can't carry in a hospital. You can't carry if you're a felon. You know, you can't carry if you're mentally ill. There's they recognized that it is not absolute. And so, you know, it seems to me, I mean, Russ, Russ and I are trying to read the tea leaves here. I mean, based on what we see in oral arguments and based on the fact that we know that we have a, a pretty conservative uh, panel of the currently constituted Supreme Court, I think it's very likely gun, uh, gun advocacy may get expanded right. with this decision. And yet, I'm looking at it with, in the, looking at Heller and saying, well, they recognize that if the Second Amendment is not absolute, that reasonable restrictions can be placed, including licensing. Right. 
uh, you know, that a state can can require before a person just willy nilly gets a firearm. Um, but truthfully, I, I Russ and I are in agreement. We're expecting um, a decision to come down uh, in favor of the pro gun movement. Here. And and let's let's put this in context for anyone out there who's listening who says, "Hey, it's in the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says I have a right to bear arms. That means my right is absolute. I have a right to bear arms, and you cannot tell me anything that." curtails that right many people so, have that reading I yeah, mean, right a lot but, of people do but here's here's like let, let's get some context for for that argument there first amendment right to speak free speech right you don't have a right to speak however you want wherever you right. want right just because there's a right to free speech doesn't mean the classic example is you don't have a right to yell fire in a crowded movie theater right right? That is not free speech. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like that, that there's often areas of free speech for protests where they say, yes, you have a right to free speech, but here's the area where you can make that speech. It's similar in second amendment. Like these rights are not universally applied where it's absolute. There's, there's gray here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is the same. This, this is the same according to Heller, right? right? So the question is, what's the Supreme Court going to do now that they are very likely to expand gun rights? And we don't know. We're trying to read the tea leaves. We're waiting for an opinion. I think it com- could come down really any time now. Should I mean, come out it's, it's this month or next. It, yeah, the ball is in the Supreme Court's court. <laughs> the ball is in the court. <laughs> the ball is in the court. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm just picturing like Kavanaugh lining up to hit a backhand. He's like, all right, so uh, my, your turn for the dissent. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something that we're going to be uh, paying attention to. And of course, when that decision comes down, uh, we'll update you. We'll let you know. And the one thing that is apparent is whatever, however it comes down, it sure seems like the court is going to take away options for lawmakers to, to regulate based on the second amendment. Right. Now, um, one thing that we really didn't get into, we're, we're going to kind of take a, a different approach and, and, and let's talk about what, if any liability a gun manufacturer has, uh, in the wake of a mass shooting, like the one that just happened in Uvalde. Now, this is actually something that I think we do have an update on since the last time we talked about this issue, and I think it's actually fairly significant. I will confess to you, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised I missed this news, because this happened uh, earlier this year, February 2020, uh, 2022. Um, the uh, nine families of the Sandy Hook massacre, which was another school shooting, a horrible one uh, that happened at this point 10 years ago. Uh, just settled a lawsuit with the gun manufacturer Remington for $73 million. Okay. This is the largest um, settlement that a gun manufacturer or judgment that a gun manufacturer has been exposed to ever. By, uh, by a long shot. Yeah. And, and there is a reason that there are so few of these lawsuits. Again, this is something, I'm a lawyer and I didn't know any of this until I started preparing for this podcast. And and this may be news to you. Uh, Let's go back to 2005, Russ. George W. Bush was president. Um, He signed something called the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. 
and I'm not going to get into the uh, the legal language about this, but essentially what this is, is this is a litigation shield for gun manufacturers that essentially say you can't sue a gun manufacturer for liability after a person has used one of their guns in the commission of a crime. All right. Um, this was absolutely championed by the NRA. In fact, after the announcement was made, was was made, Wayne Lapierre, who is still the president of the NRA, uh, you know, back in 2005, he thanked President Bush for signing the act, <clears throat> which it had lobbied for, describing it as quote the most significant piece of pro-gun legislation in 20 years. Um, and, and here's the rationale for that, because there there is a justifiable rationale for the signing of that piece of legislation. Like, if you are a manufacturer of guns, right, or, or of anything that has the potential to cause harm to people, but when it's used as it should be used, and in this instance, let's say guns, if the gun is used for hunting if the gun is used for legitimate self-defense, why should that gun manufacturer be liable for people who abuse the proper use of that product? So that's certainly the thinking. I, I will tell you, though, this is a lot more rare than you might think, though. I mean, there, there's only a, a couple of other industries with this, this type of uh, liability protection. Uh, a couple uh, are vaccine manufacturers. Um Internet service providers. So, you know, if, if someone defames somebody on the internet, you can't sue Google. Okay. okay. Um, airline companies were exempted from liability suits connected with the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, things like that. Just, That's just about it. Specific to that, specific that attack? Specific to that attack. Okay. So this is, this is rare. I mean, so the, the fact that the gun manufacturer industry has this protection is not only super rare, but in, in this particular type of litigation, it is super powerful. If you're a victim of a mass shooting, you're not allowed to go sue the maker of that AR-15. Well, victim of any shooting. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Until though. Now, so let's talk but about- Parkland. Parkland got $73 million. How did that not, happen? Not Parkland. Not oh, Parkland. sorry. Not Parkland. Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. Sorry. And, and remember, that took 10 years. Right. Okay. Now, here's how that happened. This is actually, I think, some amazing lawyering by the plaintiff's attorney- uh, who handled this case? So basically, the uh, the the lawyer who sued on behalf of the Sandy Hook families, um, he filed law, a lawsuit based on a, the state of Connecticut a consumer protection law, and what he argued. Remember this this uh, protection of lawful commerce and arms act that is a federal law. Okay, so what but he what he did was he sued under this Connecticut state's uh, consumer law indicating that Remington, the gun you manufacture, was unfair in their marketing practices. And They're saying that they violated essentially um, a marketing law that required – what Remington do, was doing, they were putting out um, ads for their AR-15 saying, hey – uh, if you get this, uh, if you get this rifle, you're going to reclaim your man card. You know, uh, make sure that you're ready for the war. There were these types of slogans, and this lawyer successfully argued that this type of advertising specifically reached out to mentally unstable people who might be inspired to commit a mass shooting. And he was able to do that because that act, that federal act, had either six or seven exceptions to it. That, And one of those exceptions is unfair 
trade practice, exactly. unfair marketing. Exactly. Right. And like and and unfair marketing, in effect, they're saying like marketing illegal things. Exactly. Right. And so that's exactly how what this lawyer did is he tied those advertisings, as Colin said, to saying you're marketing it to people who are unstable, who are going to use this in an illegal manner, which frankly, that's what happened. Right. And many of many states in the country, including Colorado, have have these types of laws that would enable this type of a lawsuit. So it's very creative. But I'll tell you what, it scared the hell out of Remington. Um, they they tried to get summary judgment on this, trying to kick the case out. In fact, the case went all the way to the Connecticut Supreme Court in a Connecticut in a four to three decision. The Connecticut Supreme Court said this lawsuit can go forward. Uh, the gun manufacturers, Remington, appealed all the way to U.S. Supreme Court. Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court denied cert, which means they decided not to take the case, which means the Connecticut ruling is undisturbed. Remington then offered the Sandy Hook families $33 million. Um, their lawyer said absolutely not, grossly inadequate. A few months later, they arrived at a figure of $73 million. When When did that get denied cert? Do you know? Um, I don't have that information in front of but me. But it, it must have been within the last couple of years. So it already the court already had a fairly conservative lean to it at the time that the U.S. Supreme Court denied cert. Right. And, and what they, just to be clear, like when the Supreme Court denies cert, they are saying... We are not going to take this up. They knew what the ruling was from the Connecticut Supreme Court, and they right. said, we are going to leave that in place, and then that becomes the law for that case. So right now, if I'm a gun manufacturer, um, I'm a little nervous about this case. Um, and first of all, Remington went bankrupt. Uh, that's a whole other story. But... Um, there might be ways to hit these companies in their wallet. Well, and, and we'll see if more of these suits, I, th- I think we're going to see more of these suits start, start to come. And honestly, I think they're going to have public support. Uh, right. Much more so than maybe they did uh, in, in years prior. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you dove more into that than I did. But when we were talking about this, I went and looked to see how badly a $73 million hit would hurt a gun manufacturer. Because you're talking about sure. some industries. You're talking about, about you know, billion, Apple right. or Google. Yeah. $73 million, That's That's, that's chump change. <laughs> that's, that's the CEO's <laughs> bonus at the end that's, of the year. That, that's the CEO's like weekend bender <laughs> in, in Barbados, right? <laughs> but 70, so at the peak of Remington, like this is around 2014, 2015, their profit was 110, 120 million. So this 73, yeah, yeah, this 73 million hit, this has the potential to definitely put gun manufacturers out of business if, if it hits them. Well, I'll tell you again, coming back to this protection of lawful commerce and arms act, I I'm just, Again, I had never heard of this act. This is the uh, federal act. This is the federal act that shields the, the the gun companies. To be clear, it's still in place. I mean, I'm just kind of wondering when we're going to start seeing the emergence of political candidates who are specifically going to say, I am going to vote to uh, repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Act, Arms Act, because that's, that's where you're going to go after the throat of the gun manufacturers. If you get rid of this piece of legislation... Uh, I think it's uh, pardon the pun, but open season on gun manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, so, and and so we're talking. You know, right now we've been talking. You know, gun manufacturers 
across the board, you know, for everything. Whereas we'll get to later, but there's some people who want very targeted legislation on gun manufacturers to kind of prevent these mass shootings. But before we get to that, Colin, let's talk about another thing that states are doing to try to mitigate and eliminate these mass shootings. And those are red flag warnings or red flag uh, measures. Yep. And this is, uh, this is another thing that's going to be unique to part two of this episode because we did not actually have a red flag law in Colorado when we recorded uh, back in early 2020. So um, what, let's talk about Colorado's red flag law. Uh, this is, and other states are doing this as well. Um, these things are called extreme risk protection orders, all right? And so basically, it, and, and that's what we're talking about with the red, red flag. flag. Yeah. So um, if a family member is concerned about someone in the family, they have significant mental health issues, they're making threats of suicide, they're making threats against other people, and they have uh, these types of weapons. It, it could be a handgun, it could be an AR-15, any sort of deadly weapon. Any sort of firearm, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, basically, the, in, in the creation of a 2019 law here in Colorado allows that concerned family member to go directly to a court and petition a court for an extreme risk protection order. And the long story short is they have to establish by clear and convincing evidence that a, a party is a danger to themselves or others. And the effect of the order, if, if it is granted, it would require the, the subject of the order to surrender all of their firearms for a period up to one year. That's the max, up to one year. But let's be clear, initially, when they file this, this is a one-sided filing. Right. This is the, the person who's going to have their firearms taken has no knowledge of That's this right. at the point it's filed, right? So someone, let's say you think your Uncle Max, who has been crazy for years, is going to finally go off the deep end and take his shotgun and go to town. You go to a judge, you say, judge, I think Uncle Max is me- mentally unstable, shouldn't have firearms. If you can present clear and convincing evidence that he shouldn't have a gun, the judge then signs an order to relinquish or give up all of his firearms. That order is then served on Uncle Max by the local sheriffs, and those guns are gone when that's when that's served. Right. Now, Uncle Max has a recourse, right? Within 14 days, there has to be a second hearing in front of the judge that Uncle Max actually gets to participate in where that clear and convincing standard has to be proven in order for the state to keep his guns away from him. That's exactly right. And, you know, this was this is a very controversial um, law when it was signed into effect. I mean, there, there were there were some concerns by the public. This is like, OK, they're going to come get our guns and this is how they're going to do it. <laughs> right? A lot of people thought that. Um and, you know, th- there, there were also some concerns on the part of law enforcement because they were like, okay, if, if, if we get one of these orders against somebody and they don't want to give up their guns, are we going to send our officers into a police ambush? Which, which by the way, the Colorado red flag law is named after Deputy Zachary Parrish, who was ambushed by one such incident and he was killed in 2017. Right, because you know there's guns involved. Exactly. I mean, and, and there are a lot of people who are like, you're going to 
over my out of my cold dead hands, right? I mean, that's a quote that a lot of people really, really believe in. And, and, and just and so let, there's a danger here. And let me interject super quickly. When this law was passed, we got calls in this office. I distinctly remember one call I got from a concerned gun owner who the law was just passed. He had no reason to believe that anyone was coming for any guns of his. He wanted to put me on retainer because he thought the state was going to come take his gun. Right. And I, I refused it. I said, you know, if if someone files something, you know, give me a call and I'll see what I can do. But right now, there's no reason to think that you're going to lose your gun. And I never got a call from him again. So um, just a little bit more on these red flag laws. Uh, They are kind of, they're very similar to if someone wants to get a restraining order against somebody. So, you know, if Jebediah wants to get a restraining order uh, against Cornelius, he goes to a court, he says why he's so scared of Cornelius. Um, a judge will issue a temporary restraining order, but then like just like in the red flag law, uh, a judge going to allow Cornelius the opportunity to defend himself. And then ultimately, after every all parties have been heard, you know, he can, the court can issue a restraining order or not. It's the same type of thing in this uh, type of case as well. And how have they been working so far? Well, it, it, just seven days ago on Nine News here in Denver, uh, did kind of a two-year roundup of these cases. And, and honestly, I was somewhat surprised by some of the statistics. So first of all, uh, Nine News broke this up into two categories, um, uh, red flag petitions that were filed by citizens and red flag petitions that were filed on behalf of law enforcement. So law enforcement can do this too. It doesn't right. have to be a family member. Right. Of the 138 uh, citizen initiated red flag petitions, only 45, Russ, were granted, okay? Um, way less than half. It's like right. 29%. And then, But for law enforcement, they filed 107 petitions, 101 were granted, 95% uh, success rate. Overall, 60% uh, were granted. Um, it's interesting. They broke this up by county. Uh, in Denver, the city and county of Denver, which tends to be a more gun control a demographic, 65% of the petitions were granted. Go to El Paso County, Colorado Springs tend to have a little bit more gun advocacy, advocacy uh, people out there. Only 20% of the petitions were granted. So what matters where it, you're filing? So, yeah, so the demographics um, matter. Yeah, and and again, all of these things are temporary. Um, 75 of, uh, 75% of the people who had to give up their firearms pursuant to an order like this are now eligible to get them back. So this is very temporary. It's kind of a Band-Aid. It's not a perfect law, but I will say this. Many people in the gun advocacy corners were very concerned that this red flag uh, prohibition was going to just open up the floodgates to, you know, people having their guns taken away. And 136 it, people in two years. I don't know. That's to me, that's not a significant number in a state with over 4 million people. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, this red flag law is just one of several gun reform measures that are kind of floating out there that people are talking about in order to stem this tide of mass shootings. And here's just a list of some other things people are talking about. Mental health restrictions, so codified laws saying if you have a history of mental health um, problems, you can't have a firearm. Universal background checks, which right now don't exist. Waiting period. So you want to buy a gun? Okay. You can buy a gun, but you have to wait 72 hours to get it. 
um, the red flag laws we talked about, and then the ban on assault rifles, ban on magazine sizes. I will tell you, in the U.S. across the board, every one of these reform measures has over 60% support across party lines. uh, Yeah. Across party lines. And some of these are huge. 84% support for universal background checks. So this would prevent things like just buying a gun from someone online, right? Without any check. Red flag laws that we just talked about across the board has about a 70% um, favorability rating in polls. And so it doesn't matter when you're, whether you're Republican or Democrat, the lowest two for Republicans were the ban assault rifles and limit magazine sizes. And even those were still between 40 and 50% of Republicans agreed with those. But, you know, you take independents and Democrats, 60, everything was over 60% support. Um, So, I mean, there is strong support for measures to make these reforms the question is, are they actually going to get codified by any legislatures? Right. Now, of course, there's also the response from gun advocacy folks, people like the NRA, and they're going the other way, of course, with this. I mean, they're saying we need this is what happened in Uvalde is just dem- further demonstration that we need to further arm our police forces, that we need to arm our teachers, you know, that we basically we need more guns to we need more good guns to defeat the bad guns. OK, um, and here's here's the issue that I just have with that. And, you know, we're not really going to get into the facts of Uvalde too much, but we do know that there are reports coming out, Russ, that uh, the Uvalde Police Department, the the entity, you know, literally assigned to deal with this type of a threat, a mass shooter, sat outside that school for almost an hour doing nothing, ignoring the pleas of parents whose kids were dying inside that school. Um, and what I have to say about that is, okay, if if we're have if we have a police agency that presumably has guns, weapons, you know, to deal with this type of threat, and yet the police aren't even going to engage because they're afraid of the shooter. What faith should we have that Mrs. Rosales in her third grade classroom is going to take out her nine millimeter Glock in in such a setting and be able to defend her kids? Right. It's it's a it's a tough. I mean, that's that's the uh, gun advocacy argument is that you need more good guys with guns and then more good guys with guns will take out the bad guys with guns. This seems to fly in the face of that. You know what their the argument maybe is well he had an AR fifteen and these these police officers had, you know, nine millimeters and they were outgunned. And what you need to do is further militarize police forces so they can match firepower with firepower, which I mean, if that's your position, that's your position. For me, I mean, arms races never seem like a good idea, I feel like. Yeah, I don't think more guns feels like the solution to this. Doesn't to me. Doesn't to me. um, It might to some of you, but um, this is just, I mean, as more of these go on, I'm... I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this very differently, uh, which each one of these uh, ridiculous uh, events that happens. Um, so um, I think what we're going to do, though, is kind of wrap up. Um, you know, we, we wanted to kind of give you guys an update of kind of where things are. 
are things going to change? Is this going to be something that uh, we we as a country decide to take on? Because we said this in the last podcast, and I think it bears repeating. This is clearly just an American problem. I mean, this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Um, tiny, I, tiny fraction in the rest of the world. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, we are living in a country where there are 125 guns per 100 people in the country. That's how many guns we have. Um, I, I just hope that at some point our country looks in the mirror and decides what country we want to be. Um, cause I'm not really happy with it right now. And I hope, uh, I hope other people feel the same way about it. Well, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. There's going to be some legal decisions that are going to, um, you know, factor into this. That there are. And, and we'll see what happens. We'll try to keep you guys updated. But um, for now, let's move on to something much more fun. Oh, I'd love to do that. And, and much lighter. It is time for our DCO the dumb, like how we did that, that the dumb criminal of the week. Yep. This is something we do every episode, and today we are taking our packing our bags and heading to sunny Florida. <sighs> Florida again. Good huh? old, good old Flo- Fort Lauderdale. It never, do- it never disappoints. Uh, it does never disappoint. You, you know, if you hear Florida in the intro to a DCOTW, <laughs> I think of orange juice and I think, I think of, of dumb, dumb criminals, criminals, man. That's <laughs> just what I think of. <laughs> it's just good stuff. So, um, so in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a man named George Horn walks into St. John the Baptist Church. George took no efforts to conceal himself. Although, unbeknownst to him, the church had surveillance cameras inside. Is this a break-in? Did I miss it, that part? It's Well, I assume... Or is he showing up for mass? No, it was at night, but I think I think the church might have been open. Okay, all right. Okay, so, you know, the church allows people to come in and pray, you know, when mass is not going on. Sure. So, there was no one else in the church, okay. but I think the church was open. But he goes over to the uh, votive candle cabinet, and he decides he's going to break into the uh, locked cabinet under the votive candles. So he spends a considerable amount of time trying to get into this cabinet. First thing he does is tries using a tire iron um, as a pry bar. He he wants to steal candles? No, there's there's something in the locked cabinet under the votive candles. Uh, I don't know how... a collection basket or something, who knows? Yeah, I don't know how he knew this. Maybe he's an old altar boy. (laughs) Like, it could be. But there there is something of value, so so he at least is going after something of value. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, a tire iron is a pretty blunt piece of metal. It's got a curve on the end. Not, you know, if I wanted to pry something, I'd probably use a a crowbar. (laughs) But he's got a tire iron. It's not getting the cabinet open. You gotta he's, use what you can. He's he's tugging on it. He's on his butt with his feet braced against it, trying to pull open a handle. The next thing he goes for to try to get it open is a probably about a foot high crucifix. <laughs> so he's he's banging this crucifix <laughs> into. He's using it as like a, a ha- battering ram, <laughs> kind of a then, hail mary, if you right. will. See? <laughs> Well done. (laughs) Then he's trying to use it to pry open the door, use this crucifix. Then then shortly after, he says, hey, maybe I should use this hammer I have. (laughs) So 
Turn, turns out the hammer was the the choice. The best implement. <laughs> right. I mean, if you got a hammer or a crucifix, right. yeah, I don't know. Right. <laughs> What's going to get that nail I, home? Right. Who knows? I don't know if it was like symbolic. He wanted to break in using the crucifix. But yeah, he got the claw into the hammer and he was able to very quickly pry open that door, pop it out take whatever was in there and he got away at the time although he was uh-huh. tracked down like at just time, yeah. just a couple days later and he was charged with burglary and theft wow so old georgie boy what do you think colin you know i mean we we call these uh so this is where we give our knuckleheads uh one to five which is how stupid was this right, right. um i mean i i for me, this kind of like goes beyond uh, knucklehead in the sense. I mean, gosh, you're stealing from it's, a church right. from St. John it's, the Baptist. You're breaking into the votive candle. Right. It's sacrilegious. It's pretty right? darn. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that. That's. I mean, that that gets you four knuckleheads just right there, just <laughs> right. because this is a church. Uh, you know, and the fact that he opted for a crucifix, right. Uh, to accomplish this job over a hammer that that puts it uh, that that gets me to the five mark. Yeah. Um, so what is, was he caught on surveillance? Is that how they oh, found yes. this guy? Yes, really clear surveillance of this whole thing. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to I'm not going to go five for him because I I give him some credit for actually initially for getting, getting away. away. Initially. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't get caught in the act. Um, but really for all the reasons you said, um, and just like <laughs> the crucifix is just like bizarre to me. Um, it's bizarre, but so I'm going to go ahead and give him four and a half. So George, you got, you got nine and a half out of 10. You are not the dumbest criminal of all time, and, and, but, and you're probably not going to heaven. No, right. I yeah. mean, he's he's there's, got that going against him. There's some fire waiting for him. Yeah, I don't know about where he's going to end up. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, so um, there you go, everybody. I know this was kind of a heavy one, uh, and um, you know, I'm hoping that we'll be back with some lighter topics. I'm sure we will be and more shenanigans in the future. But uh, I'll tell you, a lot of you have been reaching out to us, and it feels great uh, to hear from our listeners. Uh, we do this for you. We have fun doing it. Um, do you have an opinion on gun control? Are you a gun advocate? Do we think? Do you think this country's uh, should be more uh, accommodating toward weapons? Please let us know. Um, we want to hear from all opinions. Uh, you can find us at Is This Legal Pod on Twitter. You can find us at our uh, Hebbets and McAllen Facebook page. You can email us directly at Denver Crime Law, all one word, at gmail.com, As many of you have been doing recently. Thank you for those. If you got a new, uh, you got a legal topic for us to tackle, we we do those. We've hey, done you, a few of those uh, uh, listener-inspired episodes lately. If you even have an idea for the next dumb criminal of the week, we yeah. are happy to entertain ideas. Want to be a contestant on Is This Legal? We didn't have one of those this episode just because we wanted to focus on kind of the subject matter at hand, but uh, we well, do those from time to time too. So we'll, we'll be coming back with that. So In every time. Everyone out there. Take us out, Russ. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Be safe, be smart, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. You've been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time.